It is easy for worship leaders to feel alone. There is tremendous pressure on us each week to perform, to lead, and to help direct an amazing experience of worship and connection to God. But it's so overwhelming. There's no place to go to talk through these unique challenges worship leaders face. Welcome to the table. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the next episode of The Table. Hey, my name is Jason Squires, and I'm the host of this podcast. I'm excited today to introduce uh, Dr. Michael Santucci. How's it going today? Very good. Thank you very much. Nice to be here. Absolutely. Uh, let's, well, can you go ahead and introduce yourself? Tell us a little bit about you, what you do, and um, and who you are. Uh, my name is Michael Santucci. I'm a doctor of audiology. I've been practicing for many years, more than I'm willing to admit anymore. But uh, my business, really, for the past 35 years, has been working with the music industry, trying to uh, prevent hearing loss from what we all do. I'm a musician, come from a family of musicians, and you know, the, the job causes injury. And so my my career has been set out to educate everybody and provide options for them to try and protect their hearing. Yeah. I And you're doing it. And so you're, you're and we're going to talk a little bit about that here today. Um, so I'm going to jump into the content here. I um, actually, before I do that, tell me what, um, what got you excited about that hearing and and making sure that you're not that, that people aren't damaging their hearing because that's uh, i mean yeah. a doctor wants to help people but like you're actually a tar- targeting a specific thing you know i think that's a number of reasons i became an audiologist i back in you know graduate school i decided this is what i wanted to do because i found it interesting you know i came from a family of musicians. My dad had his own big band, got a scholarship to college in music. So he was into it. And of course, all the kids, we all had to play something. So there was constant music in the house. My sisters still play actively. I don't anymore, but just in my bedroom. But yeah. uh, uh, that was the interest in music. Why I got into audiology is another question. And there was no no intention of mixing the two at the time I got into audiology. It was after I'd been out of school for about three years, a band came to me knowing that I had knowledge of the hearing mechanism and protecting and said that their singer was going to quit because she, her ears were ringing and they just went platinum on this record, you know, and they help us. Yeah. So I said, have her put in earplugs. And then they go, have you tried playing your horn with earplugs in? No. <laughs> they were just the foam ones. And I'm like, wow, these are horrible. And I went around to recording studios in Chicago to see if we can measure what they were doing in my ear. So I put these little tiny mics in my ear and throw pink noise at my head in these, you know, really controlled circumstances in a recording studio and take take a real time analysis of sound. And it showed everything got muffled on the highs more than lows. OK, So we started trying to make an earplugs that let some high in. So it sounded more natural. Right. And that's how the whole thing started. Amazing. I'm a I'm a big proponent for creativity and t- taking an idea and running with it. And so I love seeing people come see a problem. How do I fix it? And then adapt it over the years and see how that happens. I've been blessed though with opportunities. 
yeah. you know, almost destiny or purpose. These things that have happened to my career in order to me to, to be able to do what I'm doing now has been almost miraculous for all these different, you know, meetings and crossing paths with people all ended up creating this beautiful world that I'm helping people do stuff with. So it was, there's engineers, there's people in my lab, there's people that taught me stuff. The Grateful Dead crew, really, I knew nothing. I made my first ear monitor. They used it. And Don Pearson and Dan Healy, two of the greatest live sound engineers in the world, are going, you don't really understand how this all works. And I didn't. Yeah. So they took me under their wing and actually started explaining the whole sound setup from front of house to on stage and, and the in-ear setup and all that. So I got a better concept of what the challenges are and now i spread that word to other audiologists i run classes so good so i used to be the guy that would leave one ear in and one ear out with in-ear monitors um not really knowing it was bad for me and then i even knowing it was bad for me kind of was like it's fine i'm young like i just had that kind of have that invincible invincible mentality can you explain to us what's actually happening when I leave one ear in and one ear out and I'm playing with the band? You know, there's, it's not a simple yes, no type black and white situation. Yeah. However, a lot of it, the injury to the open ear when you pull it out is dependent on the sound level of wherever you're playing, right? So in a lot of these worship situations, there may be electronic drums and there's no amps and it's pretty soft. So when you pull one out, you're not blowing out your your one ear that has nothing in it anymore. But for most site shows and most musicians and a lot of, you know, obviously worship situations, there's a live drummer and things are loud in there. And yep. so you're pulling one ear out, you have no protection. But but the but here's the thing. Let's talk about hearing. We hear with our brain. The ears get the sound up there, but you could have a perfect ear on each side of your head. And if I cut the nerve like a little cable that's sending the signals to your brain, you're deaf. Perfect ear. So yep. you're hearing with the brain and the brain of a musician, the auditory center functions differently than non-musicians. Very much so. Uh, we practice again and again. You didn't learn pitch and timbre and all that stuff and the tone of your instrument because you just knew it. You just did it so many millions of times. You got a sound signature that you created that for every musician, we create a sound thing. This is the way it should sound. And a good monitor engineer is somebody that can recreate it for you and guess yep. what you're saying, right? Uh, but that one of the components in that is loudness. So you learn loudness, right? If you've been practicing guitar at 100 dB your whole life, guess what happens when you put on any of your monitors? You turn it to 100. Yep. Not because 100 is what you need or because you like it loud. It's because... Your brain got used to it. So we did a study. Let's not even go to the one-ear thing. We did a study at Vanderbilt in the in late 90s. And this engineer, former monitor engineer, pretty big bands, wanted to do a study for his capstone to find out how much people turned down in-ears compared to floor monitors. Good study, right? Yep. So we had 100 participants, all musicians, professionals in Nashville. And the instruction was turn the floor monitor to what you guys like. And we have capability to measure at the eardrum. So I don't care where the, the sound source is. So we'll do that and we'll record that level. And now we're going to put some sure, they were the sure E5s. If you may be too young yep. to know what those No, I are. know what they are. I know what they are. Yeah. <laughs> and we had rubber, really, really good custom molds that block 34 dB. So 
We had great isolation. And I was so excited to show because in-ears were just kind of out on the market for a few years. And I'm going, wait till everybody sees how much better they they turn things down. And it turns out that 98 out of 100 trials turn them exactly the same. Not even one dB different, which is literally impossible for non-musicians to do. You have a friend that's a non-musician, you ask them to match loudness to one dB, they could not do it. Nope. But the brain, that's where it is, right? So it's like, wow. And in fact, out of the whole 100 trials, there was a 0.6 dB difference between wedge and ear. That's pretty incredible. That's confidence level saying about a 98% chance, 94% chance that you're going to do that. Yep. Not because you like it loud, not because you don't care about your hearing, because this is what your brain got trained to do. Yep. So the second part of the study, we said, turn the floor monitor down from that preferred listening level till you can't play anymore. We'll turn it down to one, one dB steps at minus three. All the singers go, no way. I can't hear anymore. Yeah. You know, turn the in-ears down. And the average was 6 dB, and, but people were down 10, 12, going, wow, they sound good here. Right. Yep. And if your brain gets so now, turn it there and leave it there for two weeks and you won't want it louder. So there are, there are ways to retrain your brain. So that's the first fallacy about in-ears being safe. They're headphones. So if you turn headphones loud, they hurt your hearing. It doesn't matter if you call them an in-ear monitor or, you know, a big clunking headphone. It's the yep. same injury, right? So the other thing about one ear, so you're hearing with the brain, and here we go with these musicians' brains, and they get on stage, and especially people that have always played with speakers around them, the drummers behind them, the congregations in front of them, the other musicians left and right, and now you put on your in-ears and it's all right in the middle of your head. And you turn and look at that drummer or you're a guitar player and they haven't moved at all. And so what you've done is you've lost spatial cues and localization cues that you normally would have without any ears. So what do you do? You pull one out to get that. All my friends go, why are they pulling it out? Does it hurt? Is it too loud? I go, no, they're trying to hear something in the room that they can't get through a singular two microphones that have no localization, gives you some spatial idea that the room is bigger than what you're seeing, but, you know, that or hearing, but that's, uh, that's the problem. So they pull one out. Now, what happens is if I give you 90 dB in both ears, your brain says it's 96. It's called binaural summation. So it actually sounds 6 dB louder. Now you're pulling one out. You're going to turn that ear left in your ear, 6 dB louder to make it sound as loud and then you've got an open ear getting beat up nothing protecting it and if things get loud enough going into your open ear which feeds your brain it starts masking out the other ear and if you don't believe me here's what i always try to assimilate it to you're in a crowded room and you're on your cell phone and you can't hear and you cover your other ear and suddenly you can hear a little bit better oh so what it's doing is it's making you turn the one ear up a lot louder than it was when you wore two So you're risking injury on that ear. And then if the room's loud, you're risking injury on your open ear. That's why you don't want to take it out. I can tell you an example. We have a clinic here in Chicago. It's the only musician's clinic in the world. We've seen over 50,000 musicians here from every type of music. Symphony to big rock stars and R&B stars. I had a pretty famous musician here. And he was in because his band was using our in He had a different brand and he wanted to switch over it. I... 
he had three times he had seen an audiologist, and this is the trouble with audiologists. And he said, man, my hearing's perfect. I go, really? Is that what they told you? Well, no, I've not had it tested. You got impressions for three sets of ear monitors and never tested your hearing? He goes, no, but you won't believe. My band can't believe how low my mix is. You can't believe how good my hearing is going to be. So I test one ear, and sure enough, it's perfect. Got yeah. great hearing. Go to the other ear, and he's got a huge injury. Hmm. 60%. At two frequencies, at three and four, that's what happens. Wow. And I said, are you taking the right ear out? He goes, yeah, why? And I go, this is why. And he started crying. Nobody told me I can't do that. I'm, I'm about protecting my hearing. I didn't know any better. And it was really sad yep. that you know a lot of people are doing that and saying, I didn't know that you weren't supposed to do that, but you're not. And it doesn't always mean hearing loss, but you're really increasing your risk dramatically. Is the same thing happening when I wear like one AirPod and talk on the phone in the car? Depends how loud it is, right? Yeah. Okay. I mean, white noise, road noise versus someone talking. Yeah. yeah a, a road noise and somebody talking versus a bit live band. Totally. That you're trying to hear. So that's the difference, right? What the environment's a lot louder when you're performing than it is when you're in your car, hopefully. Yeah. Right, 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 right. So matching, matching that. Okay. That's, that's interesting. No, I've, I, uh, I, I, I used to always be the one ear in and for the same reason, I mean, you said it, you take the one ear out and it's like, Oh, I can, I can feel the room. I know where things are at. I can, I can, that it, you kind of get isolated when it's just, right. like you said, I it's in the center of your head. Say they don't like using in ears because they get too separated from the congregation. I feel yep. like they're in two different rooms and I don't feel connected. Right. Right. And that's, and I get it. So they take one out or I have the old rock stars the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame people have been using wedges for 50 years, and you got to try to get them to use an in-ear, and they can't get that brain to adjust to being all plugged up. Yep. So, again, they want to vent it or whatever. Venting is 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 just as bad, if not worse. Putting a hole in it. I mean, there's no isolation anymore. So now right, you're it's the same thing. Yeah. Stage levels, it's that simple. That's That's a bad choice, those two. Miking the room is what most people do, right? To give you some feel of what's going on. You just hope one person doesn't sit in front of one of the microphones. I've had that moment where you're like, where is that voice coming from? They don't know how to sing. Get out of my head. <laughs> yeah, that's true. But, you you know, so, yeah, that's that's the issue with pulling one out. And I think that people should know that that is very. And, and the other thing is. Let's talk about this, too. My number one recommendation to any musician, no matter what type of music they're playing and what kind of genre, get your hearing checked once a year. This is what other sense yeah. is more important than your hearing, not your taste. Absolutely not your touch. No, not really. Your vision. Yeah, it'd be nice to read music, but you could there's blind musicians and there's toothless musicians, but there's no deaf musicians. Yep. And if they are, they're playing timpani or something, right? But I mean, you're uh, so why not take care of the sense that is your most important one? We go to see a dentist once or twice a year, an eye doctor, but didn't go see the audiologist. And so the one way you can tell if even if you're taking one ear out, and as I said to this poor guy, I said, if they've been testing your hearing all along and even didn't even know that pulling one out is bad, you guys would have figured it out. Oh, your left ear's got a little notch. Oh. It got worse at that one one frequency in your left ear. And why is it your left ear is getting worse? So maybe it's because I take it out, right? I mean, it's right. really that simple. If you go in and get a test, at least you've got some kind of a 
of a knowledge base. So I think every musician should form a relationship with an audiologist. Yeah, no, dude, that's, 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 this is so good. I had a, um, I had an instance uh, last year where I, I had some, I had a really bad experience with in-ears and um, I was playing on a Sunday and the band got really loud. I didn't realize somebody had messed with my, um, my in-ear, my in-ear uh, settings and yeah, uh, yeah and it, they had they had turned the limiter off and um mm. which i mean it's like open up a fire hose into oh, yeah. my ears we started the service and i pulled one out because i could and i couldn't get the other one out and in about the 90 seconds that was in i had permanent issues that because it just blasted one side and now i have this i have this constant i have this ringing that comes in and so it was uh, all of that happened in one. I mean, it happened in one one service. It wasn't like, you know, and, and that's unusual. Although it does, the bigger threat is doing it with less impact, but still injuring yourself. Yeah, at a lower level every Sunday, correct, or more than that, you know. And that's so. What I see is the hearing drop over a career. Yep, right. It just continually gets worse over time. Um, so. Yeah, that's that's the bigger cause, unfortunately. Yeah, yeah. Um, do you? We don't typically think about the long term effects of hearing damage, like you said. We don't go to the, we go to the dentist, we go to the eye doctor, we get glasses. We get, you know, I was talking to a friend of mine who had a problem the other. Um, he didn't realize he didn't. Um, he would always talk loud, and then finally he got hearing aids. He got hearing aids and all his whole demeanor changed. <laughs> he was no longer yelling in conversations. Um, and so it it's like we don't we don't do that. What is what well let me you know, first off, I don't like I I I'm on this work path to get it not called damage, but injury, because let's call it injury, what it yep. is. Yeah. It's an injury. When people come into my clinic, they go, I think I have some hearing damage. And I go, How often are you injuring your yourself? They go, yep. What? How often are you injuring yourself? They go, what do you mean? They go, well, that's what it is. You're injuring yourself. Your car gets damaged. You're not a car. You're a person. You get injured. Right. And they go, oh. So now it makes less sense, right? You're injuring your hearing mechanism. And while you're trying to be a good musician, it's just very, you know. No, No, it's true. It's true to say your ears don't, your ears don't heal, correct? Or they don't, they can heal, but they don't. The nerve cells do not heal. So there's three parts to your hearing. One is just the diaphragm, like a mic diaphragm called your eardrum. Yeah. And Mr. Schur and Mr. Sennheiser, I'm sure, copied the eardrum. It was there first, right? And sound waves hit it, and it turns them into a vibration, like a mic diaphragm does, right? But instead of going to electrical circuit, it goes to the three small bones in your middle ear, hammer, anvil, and stirrup. You remember those? Yeah. And those are sending mechanical energy transforming that acoustic to mechanical and it goes into your inner ear which is all electrical so there's all these nerve cells and they're all programmed for each sound there is so when they get stimulated they send an impulse to your brain in your hearing and so that's the part that gets injured those nerve cells are what gets injured and they don't recover if you damage your eardrum there's many ways that it can be fixed at least partially yep if not completely and so those things are reparable, but when you get into the nerve cells, we can't regrow dead nerve cells. Yeah. 
We haven't been able to so far, and I wouldn't bet in my lifetime I won't see it. You might. You're young enough. But, yeah, right. I understand. But I don't know if we ever will, and who knows if they'll sound as good as the original parts, right? Because right. hearing is about, you know, I get people that injure the hair cells, and if they gets bad enough, they start having distortions on every note. I hit this certain, you know, note on my guitar, and it's distorted, and it's only in one ear, so I know it's not the guitar. Yep. My hearing or people that have hypersensitivity to loudness, these are career enders, right? So the importance of hearing from musicians are that they come into my clinic, not, you know, lately it's been more on the preventative side, but mostly it's people that have done some pretty bad injuries and they realize if I get any worse, I won't be able to play. Yep. And that's where they come in desperate to save and having all these issues they're fighting. I had a, very famous rock and roll hall of fame guy tell me his hearing is really horrible and he said i played my muscle memory i've done the songs a million times i don't have to hear them i get a pitch i know i'm in the right key and i got the rhythm i'm good i can play the whole song can't stretch it and have a good time anymore yeah so that's no end way to end a career right and so that's the music side of it from the brain side of it I will just say without getting too deep into it, I all of your listeners should go just get on a search engine and look up early cognitive decline, early dementia, and untreated hearing loss. Okay. There's the it's the highest correlation for dementia of any anything, any debilitation. It's it's hearing loss. Interesting. It causes you to be isolated. You lose energy because it's too hard to concentrate on hearing somebody. And remember, why is hearing getting injured? And I I explain this to musicians. This sense of hearing wasn't designed so we could talk to each other or hear music. Those came a little bit later. It was keep an animal from eating us, right? So this is a great system for a world. I mean, look, in Jesus's days, there was no loud sound. What was there? Maybe a blacksmith? I mean, it's quiet. The world was quiet, always quiet. And these things are great for hearing far distances so you can run away from something that's after you, right? And they also, it's the only sense that works when you're sleeping. All your other senses go away, but not your hearing, man. It's listening for your alarm clock, your baby crying, somebody breaking in. It's always working. So the energy into your auditory brain is 24-7. It's like breathing. And when it stops getting the energy... And it's a survival sense. All the other senses jump in to help you watch somebody has hearing loss. Vision gives up everything. It goes right to staring at your face to see if they can understand what you're saying. So it causes early dementia. It's a, it's well, it's, I don't know if it causes, I should restate yeah, no. that. Right, right, right. It's related, highly re- related to, Connected. we don't know the causal effect of one over the other. It could be the isolation of hearing loss causes the dementia, or it could have been the dementia causes them to be isolated, which causes, I don't know, but whatever the case, that's a good reason to want to keep your hearing. Intact. Totally. But you mentioned the, uh, that it was never loud in, in Bible times. And I, I've always thought about like, you know, Jesus speaking to large groups of people and he wasn't, it wasn't like he was setting up a sound system. We think like, oh, you set up a sound system to talk to big groups right. of people. Don't have to yell at anybody. Don't have to yell at people. It's just how the how it was situated and in places where he can talk and people can hear. And it wasn't like, you know, there was no amplification. That's in right. Yeah, ears are set up different. That's so good. Um, right, your rock band behind him, like cranking up for a few songs. It's right, right. setting up, setting up the message <laughs> on the yeah right. Um, 
so ear fatigue is a term I recently learned um, and not something I realized I was experiencing. But once I learned about it, realized after church on Sunday, I was experiencing ear fatigue. Um, can you explain, can you explain that? You've explained it a little bit, but like in terms. Well, here, Jason, the thing is in the industry, and I've been doing this for 35 years, my yeah. ears are fatigued. That doesn't. So in, in audiology, there is something called temporary threshold shift. Threshold is the softest level you can hear a, a note, right? Yeah. And if things get loud enough you're, and start injuring your nerve cells, that threshold gets, you have to go a lot louder for you to hear. In other words, your hearing drops. Yep. And that's called TTS. And it's a real thing that we see in industry, in the military, everything. Ear fatigue, sometimes they're referring, musicians are referring to that exact thing I just described. Other times, they get fatigued because they've listened for too long or there are certain notes that really grind at them. It's more mental fatigue. So if you're talking about the physical injury, that's the, yes, the nerve cells overused and that's them yelling at you saying, and they usually ring on top of it. So you feel yeah. like your ears are full. You feel like you're plugged up a little bit and your ears are ringing. That's not trying to save you. That's a warning. It shows injury, right? Yep. Whether it's permanent or not, that's hard to say, but but that's the sign. So, yeah, that's it. Yeah, and that you you don't want to get there. That's when when you but, get there. But you've ear gone fatigue. Too far. I've had engineers say I'm getting ear fatigue because three K really grinds on me. Well, okay, that's yep. not a temporary threshold shift though. That's just irritating sounds. Noise is really irritating, right? You can't listen to noise all day. Nobody wants to turn up their jackhammer or their punch press at work, right? But uh, so. I just got. Um, I, we have a lot of trees that are on our property, and I used to, I used to use the blower, without any ear protection, and I just got these gas really blower. nice over. The, uh, yeah, gas blower. Yep, we got these really nice over the ear, like almost to the point where you don't even realize it's on when you're when you're blowing the leaves now. And uh, a couple times I've gone out to use it and not put them on. I'm like, oh, that's really loud. <laughs> Go put those back on again and. And not not listen to the 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 noise that blower for I mean because I'll be out there for you know two hours blowing off. There's speed. a there's a national they call it the NHANES and it's just a, a a health hearing health thing they do every ten years big huge study, and the NHANES is showing that hearing loss from loud sounds, non recreational loud sounds is actually going down. Okay, because of tools that are better and electric motors yep. all these things. You have to wear, if you shoot guns, they make you wear hearing protection. There's all these things that are happening, except music, right? It's going up. Yep. Right. And why is that? The World Health Organization, which is really good at predicting pandemics, predicts a hearing loss pandemic of a two and a half billion people between 15 and 35 because of more concerts than ever, but even more so your smartphone. So everybody that's listening to this, if you're using earbuds in your smartphone. Yeah. And you're using it at 80% of dangerous. If you're doing that for 10 hours, it's going to be dangerous. Yep. When you lose hearing from loud sound, there's two factors. It's kind of like being in the sun. It's not just how hot it is. It's how long am, am I in it? And so you might be saying, well, on stage, I'm at 95 dB. When I'm listening to my, my AirPods or whatever, I'm at, I'm at 90 or whatever. Well, for most sensitive ears... That could start injuring you in three or four hours. 
Yeah. And then, of course, if you're also playing loud music after that or borderline loud on top of you listening to your buds, it's just giving your ears more exposure. So rest time is really important. Uh, the World Health met. We, I'm on this organization. We've been doing this since 2015. And Apple, if you notice, if you have an iOS device, you'll notice that they will tell you when their earbuds are too loud or yep. the room is too loud. And, you know, we worked with Apple on that for five years and they launched. It's really effective. They've been, been doing studies now with Michigan University of Michigan Industrial Health Department, and they're looking at the, the use of it and how it's yeah. actually letting people are starting to turn down because they can track how you're listening. So that's the other thing. You said now that we're going that... after now we're going after venues, right? And so the worship venues, I don't know, some get pretty loud. The ones I've yep. been to are, are usually controlled. Uh, but the big concert venues and the in the EDM clubs and all that stuff, they're they're trying to just they're not trying to take money away. They're just saying, you know, people think 80, 20, they did a big survey, 20,000 concert goers. I can't remember the criteria, but you have to go pretty regularly worldwide. Are concerts too loud, not loud enough or just right? Eight percent not loud enough. And I tell people, I don't care how loud it is. You're always going to get those people turn it up. Right. But. <laughs> 72% too loud. That's amazing, right? That's, so yep. everybody thinks the majority of people thinks almost three quarters think it's too loud. And I'm like, if you turn front of house down 3 dB, they could all be in it twice as long and nobody would even notice. So we're trying to get engineers involved. The same thing goes with, you know, the houses of worship. If it's yep. really loud for the congregation, you know, how much are we doing injury? And typically for that, you know, if the service is an hour or two, that exposure time isn't constant. Right. Right. It's, it's so that's the bigger difference. But for the musicians, and you're doing two or three services. Yep. And it's different. Your exposure and, time goes way up. Yep. Um, so I mentioned earlier my experience with the in-ears early. That did not go well. Um, and then I actually started, I kind of went into a dark season because I anytime I would put in in-ears, my um my my traditional in ears, uh I would it would re it would kind of like would I would all all of a sudden get that ringing back again that ringing sensation after playing on a Sunday, um and then I came across this is when we met and this is when I came across the three D Emmys and they actually uh kind of a game changer for me and um with the with the the products and how they work can you kind of walk us through that like walk us through when they were made and kind of the, 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 the thought behind them and the microphones on the, on the outside of the, on the outside of the in-ears, it's, it literally has changed my, my trajectory and has helped me um, in this season and uh, getting me through something that I didn't even realize I was going to be going through. Um, but tell us kind of the, between standard in-ears and the 3DMEs, like why, why one, why, why the 3DMEs just makes sense. Well, that's thank you. And I'm glad you're enjoying them. Um, you know, I created this 3D product. There was a 3D first before the 3D ME. That okay. was literally just it, uh, allowed you to turn the mics down from and the, no way to control any EQ or anything like that. But it was used by a number of people. Stevie Wonder, Dave Matthews, Stephen Tyler, big, huge bands. They liked it. And why? Because they felt too isolated and they always wanted to take one out. And you know, I would tell them this is bad. So now you have sound coming into both ears and that, and you can control what it sounds like on yep. top of it. The 3DME, 
uh, I realized that we, this company, Sense of Phonics, that I own is strictly a, a uh, business to customer custom side. So I realized this is only for people that, you know, they were 2,500 bucks. Yeah. And I'm not going to sell it to the masses, that's for sure, right? And so uh, I met with another company that could do Bluetooth development and app development, which is way out of my my field. Yeah. And we created a product where it was more affordable. It would get into the MI business. It was a non, it is a non-custom product. And it allows the user to control all this. Most of the people using this, we have obviously Dave Matthews uses it and big acts that have sound engineers, but this is also allows you to mix the mics yourself. You don't need a sound engineer to have to do that for you. Yep. Uh, and so the idea was to develop something for two reasons. One is for people to protect their hearing, keeping both ears in, and then EQing the mics to sound the way they think it should sound outside of their head. Uh, and then there's a limiter to kind of let you know you can keep the levels to a certain level and, and to a certain degree and and uh, protect yourself. Um, so that was really cool. Uh, then we offered other things like EQ where you could actually add we have musicians with hearing loss who can correct it. Yep. I, one of the motivations, I have a good friend that's a bass player and his hearing is really bad, really bad. And he goes and plays clubs. He goes, I don't have a monitor guy. The front of house guy mixes my wedge for me. And if it turns up the way I need it, everybody in the whole room runs out. So I struggle through every show. And so he puts the ear monitors on with the mics. And instead of turning the mics down, he actually can turn them up 12 dB. And do that EQ-wise to correct his hearing loss on stage and still keep the levels with the limiter yep. in a safe lane. So now he's now losing more hearing, and yet he's able to do this. We've done demonstrations with and have sold 50 of these to the New York Metropolitan Opera Orchestra as an earplug. It's an expensive earplug, but right. you can tune it exactly where you want. You can tune each ear differently. So a violin player can turn their violin up if they've lost some hearing, turn the guy down next to them and program it the way they want it to sound so that's the idea is to give people options to use in-ears affordably safely and allow them to hear outside their head is which everybody really wants to do and i and i will say having used them now um and my my i'm a big proponent of wanting to hear the crowd and I, the microphones that you have on this product like i can i can hear them better than when i'm not when, when i'm not wearing in-ears like it just brings the whole room to life. And so um, I was playing this like this last weekend at a church or two weekends ago. And um, the, it was like the, there was like this choir in my ears from, from playing. And it was just, you could feel it. And, you know, um, not something you hear as well, just having them out. And so. Right. Uh, well, yeah. and you know, in the development of the product, we did a lot of research on where it was the best place to put the microphone for the best, real localization right you yep. want it to mimic like nothing's in your ear and guess where you think it ended up in the hole of your ear in the ear canal <laughs> go figure right Duh, that's why we have a hole there right so that's right so the mic is located right there but it uses your head related transfer function and your ear finicues to help you direct the localization of the sound so i think that that the the mic enhances that a little bit yep. and uh you can really yeah, here's stuff that I love it. Yeah. So we call this podcast the table, and um I believe good conversation happens over good food. 
Me too. And I'm excited about this question for you. And and so what uh, if I was coming over to the Santucci house for dinner, what what would be on the table? What would you I, I'll have you know I'm I'm now single. I've been my wife passed about nine years ago, but okay. I even before that I I cook. I've lived alone a lot of my I, I like to cook. So it would depend on what you want. Oh. If you were a vegan, I'd have something. If you wanted Italian, uh, I can make something Japanese. I mean, let's go. Let's go with a name like Santucci. Let's go Italian. Let's go Italian. Well, I w- I really worked through the pandemic. I've always made meatballs that are pretty good, but I was never quite satisfied. So I spent about a year during the pandemic with four different iterations, and finally found a meatball recipe that is killer. So I would make you the meatballs. They're part veal, part pork, part beef. There's pecorino romano in them, and and uh, Italian parsley, some garlic. A, yeah, it's really good. And after you just kind of not even brown them, I kind of put them in a Dutch oven and get them just so they're great. I just dump them in a bunch of red gravy and they sit there for hours and soak in all that gravy. And the gravy has little cherry tomatoes in it. And oh, man. So, yeah, I put that over maybe some rigatoni and then, you know, maybe an stuffed artichoke on the side and it's not some vegetable or a salad. It's not bad. That sounds like a plan. That's a, that's delicious. Come on my, over. my mouth is watering as I'm as you're talking to. <laughs> I always ask this question, and I'm like, oh, my mouth is starting to water as I think about this. <laughs> but hey, tell us how we can connect with you with you know with Sensophonics, ASI Audio. Like, tell us how well, we you can know connect. ASI Audio and Sensophonics are related. I I they're they're both you know it's a sister company. Uh, the best way to get a hold of me is at Sensophonics, Michael at Sensophonics.com. Uh, and uh, we also have an three one two four three two one seven one four is our phone number. Yeah. Uh, so we can be contacted by you know also save your ears at sensophonics.com. That's our general email for questions that get directed to the right person. Hey, I appreciate you hanging out today. Thanks, and Jason. I appreciate you sharing all this with us. So my pleasure. Thanks for having me. No problem. And uh, everybody, we will see you guys next week.